Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. This week, never landmark case. Jesse files suit against her husband, Ryan. During a past relationship, Ryan's ex-girlfriend made him a Peter Pan-themed painting, and he still has it. Jesse wants to get rid of the painting, but Ryan can't bring himself to do it. Who's right, who's wrong? Only one can decide. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman enters the courtroom and presents an obscure cultural reference. We all know Peter Pan. Peter Pan is the story of a young woman who gets ensnared in a relationship with an adulterous narcissist, a guy who literally commands his partner to be his mother, but it's okay because the young woman thinks her love can fix him. But the narcissist cannot be fixed, and he eventually leaves Wendy for a younger woman who happens to be Wendy's own daughter. Bailiff Jesse Thorne, swear them in. Jesse, Ryan, please rise and raise your right hands to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God or whatever. I do. I do. Do you swear to abide by Judge John Hodgman's ruling, despite the fact that he's more of a smee? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. Judge Hodgman, you may proceed. Oh, I just want to be clear. Judge Hodgman, I picked Smee only because Smee has the funniest name, not because you're Smee. Like you know what? Harsh but fair. Harsh but fair. I mean, you know, you look at me. You look at my dumb mustache and beard. You can't see it on the podcast, but you can probably hear, I'd like to be hooked. No, I'm Smee. Ugh. Right. Bailiff Jesse Thorne. All right. Jesse and Ryan. You may be seated for an immediate summary judgment in one of yours favors. Can you name the source of the piece of arguably popular culture? I'm just going to say you're never going to get it. Not this time. Never, never going to get it. You're never going to get it. Not this time. I could see a situation where (laughs) Smee has finally stopped taking the guff from Captain Hook. And then he goes down into his little his little bunk in his little hammock and listens to En Vogue. I mean, he loves En Vogue. I can see a situation where I hijack this podcast and transform it into an En Vogue tribute podcast. I could also see that situation. And Jesse, you'd be welcome to do so. But first, we have to administer justice in this, the very last episode of Judge John Hodgman before it is turned into an En Vogue podcast. One of the litigants is named Jesse. Jesse Nonthorn, what is your guess? Well, I'm honestly really relieved that I have no idea what it is. And I'm even more relieved that Ryan's face tells me he has no idea what it is. <laughs> but I'm guessing that it is the BBC production Peter Pan Goes Wrong. Oh, what's Peter Pan Goes Wrong? It is a delightful comedy performance from the Cornley Polytechnic Society, the same people who did the play that goes wrong on Broadway. Oh, yes. I saw that. It's their Christmas panto. It is it is honestly a really wonderful 40 minutes. Listen to Ryan dropping the British theater lingo, their Christmas panto. That's me. He does that. <laughs> Ryan non-Gosling. <laughs> that's me. And by the way, that's your joke. Before we even started rolling here, we were having a heck of a time. We're going to have such a fun conversation in a minute after I bring it down for a while, in a second. We're going to have a great time. We're already having a great time. That fun conversation we were having before we were rolling was lost to time. It has gone off to Neverland, can never be recovered. But it was fun. We're chatting. I'm here, by the way, everyone, in Maine, still, up here at WERU, 
in Orland, Maine, 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and all across the world at WERU.org. Through the glass across from me is uh, summertime producer Joel Mann. Joel? John, every time you come to Maine, it's a sunnier day for us. Thank you. What did you do with the real Joel? Why are you, why are you saying sentences all of a sudden? Okay, we'll get back to you. He's, he's been replaced like a changeling in a fairy tale, much like Peter Pan. Oh, right. Ryan Nan Gosling, what is your guess? I'm going to go with a young adult novel called Peter Pan and Scarlet. No, you're never going to get it. You're talking about the official sequel to Peter Pan, Peter Pan and Scarlet? Uh, yes. That was licensed, that was officially allowed by the Great Ormond Street Hospital, which holds the copyright to Peter Pan. It was willed to them by J.M. Barry, and they commissioned, ooh, I wish I had this. I really was reading the Wikipedia page this morning. What's the name of the author of that, of that book, Ryan Nongosling, do you know? Oh, Peter Pan Scarlet? I don't. I do not know who wrote that one. It's Geraldine McCrawn, I want to say. I can't. M-C, capital C-A-U-G-H-R-E-A-N. McCrogan or McCrawn? What a name. A young adult author who wrote the official sequel to Peter Pan, according to the J.M. Barry estate. And uh, what was that about? Do you know? I have no idea. I have not read it. You okay. haven't? No. Because you love Peter Pan, I right? I stop at Peter and the Star Catcher. Peter and the Star Catcher is as far as past canon as I go. Got it. Okay. We'll talk about your love for Peter Pan. But all guesses are wrong. By the way, this is a first. A Judge John Hodgman. Eh, yeah, it's a Judge John Hodgman first. Jesse Nonthorn and Ryan Nongosling. You know why? Wow. The quote is me. <gasps> Ooh. <laughs> I have done an obscure cultural reference to things I have said on Judge John Hodgman before. But this time, it's just something that I wrote this morning. Well, I meant to get a cultural reference together. But then I, I went down this thought <laughs> hole. And I ended up writing this long thing about Peter Pan. I'm like, this is too long. I got to fudge this and put it into the cultural reference because I'm we are going to have a fun talk about Peter Pan but I did go into that Wikipedia page and learn all those things that I just told you about the Great Ormond Street Hospital and blah 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 but I also, mm-hmm. I also had to revisit Peter Pan both the memory of the movie and the book and the play and boy oh boy oh boy there was a lot of Peter Pan that I had blocked out there is a lot of Peter Pan in the world, but there's a lot of problematic Peter Pan in the world. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I mean, Peter Pan is a creep. I didn't realize that. I didn't think about it until then. But it's like, yeah, he's likable because he doesn't grow up, which is actually a tragedy. And to J.M. Barry's credit, you're going to have to listen to this for a little bit. You guys ready? You sitting down? Oh, Strapped yeah. in. We, we're here. So to J.M. Barry's credit, he, he does portray Peter's inability to grow up, his immortality. It's sort of fun, but it's really dark. It's this immortal, arrested adolescence that is a true, the true and tragic horror show that it would be when you meet someone who has never grown up, right? Peter is full of fun tricks and sayings, and he's lively. But like any child, he's also emotionally small-minded, completely self-obsessed, dangerously chaotic and completely un- until he's got to go save Wendy. Like basically 
completely unaware of the danger that he poses to his so-called friends. I mean, frankly, Peter Pan is only rivaled in his bland sociopathy by one other character in literature, and that is Ferris Bueller, who is the worst person. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. This is a pre-verdict verdict. This is a verdict on Peter Pan. And then we're going to talk about your painting, your Peter Pan painting. Also, we need to point out Peter Pan, the book, play, the famous Disney movie, Racist. Oh, it's so racist. Right, it's racist. It's racist AF. Now, this is a family-friendly podcast, but I feel like the kids who listen to this need to know what I mean when I say racist AF. That means racist as friends, as in the TV show Friends, which wasn't actively (laughs) racist. It only didn't acknowledge the existence of non-white people until Aisha Tyler showed up. For a long, long time, there's no people of color on that Friends. No one in New York City. Except maybe some background actors. So Peter Pan, both play, book, and movie, is not passively racist. It is actively peddling in ignorant, gross stereotypes about Native Americans that were not a product of their time. Because even in 1904, in reviews of the play and the book, it was recognized that the tribe of of Indians in this story composed entirely of, of incredibly offensive, worn-out stereotypes, and pulp literary cliches. They weren't even stereotypes about real people. They were, they were stereotypes about stereotypes, this pulp literary cliches that J.M. Barry had absorbed from Victorian-era boys' adventure books, in which the concept of a non-white, non-British empire other was so common and thoughtlessly accepted and cruel that Barry couldn't even be bothered to keep his racist terms straight. And if you want to know what I mean by that, I'm not going to say it. Look up on the internet, as I did this morning, what the name of the quote-unquote tribe of the Indians is. And you will be like, your gob will be smacked. It's a very offensive term that is usually used to describe another group of traditionally exoticized, dehumanized, and marginalized people. So, yeah, we got to say this. We gotta, I, I had to say this. I don't know how Disney got a pass on this for the movie, even till now when they finally had to hide the Song of the South away in a hole. I do know why, because the racist dehumanizing of Native Americans was slash is more acceptable more recently than the racist dehumanizing of black people. And until there's a podcast about the Native Americans and Peter Pan... You just have to go and listen to Karina Longworth's six-part miniseries of her podcast about movies. You must remember this, that she did last November on Song of the South, which is an incredible investigation about how even the most liberally-minded white people casually accepted this stuff as okay. They just, they held their nose. If they saw it, they held their nose, kind of looked away, and then came back to the stuff they liked. So, okay, there. Thank you, Jesse and Ryan. We're going to have a nice time. Today, fun conversation about this painting of you, Ryan, as Peter Pan. Is that right? Uh, no, I am certainly not uh, portrayed as the main character in this piece. It is a painting of Peter Pan. You're more of a Smee. <laughs> it is a painting of the three darling children and Peter Pan in silhouette going across the moon. Okay. With 
text from an actual book of all of my favorite parts of Peter Pan that I marked up and she pulled out and then incorporated into the painting. Now, I've not looked at the painting because this case does not hinge on the content of Peter Pan, but rather this painting that was given to you by an ex-girlfriend. Is that correct, Ryan? That is correct. And your relationship with Jesse now is what? She is my wife. I am her husband. We've been married for almost a year. Happy almost an anniversary. Good job. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm glad you did it last year. <laughs> oh, we, we are, are too. too. <laughs> and Ryan, I, I presume that this was given to you because you, you love Peter Pan as a concept, as a thing, as a thing, right? I do. It was given to me. We were dating in college, and for a project she had to do for school, she was being asked to make a piece of painting incorporating light and the use of light. And so to dovetail it in, she was like, well, I might as well make something worthwhile. And she knew that I loved Peter Pan, and so she asked me to mark up my favorite pieces and put it together and gave it to me on a date. And Jesse, you would like this thing to go into the fire. I mean, I don't really feel the need to burn it, but I don't really see a good way to give it away to someone else because it is such a personal gift and even has, like, Dear Ryan on the back. So I don't really see another option. Right. It's either, like, the garbage or, or a burning bonfire of hate. I don't know. One of the two. Well, wait a minute. Let's get Let's get to the point here. So first of all, you know, thank you for letting me, Ryan. I know that this is a piece of culture that means a lot to you, obviously. And you're also obviously aware of all of its problematic content. Most certainly. Yeah. It is very easy to see and hard to overlook. So tell me what Peter Pan means to you, such that this painting, which I have not reviewed the evidence yet, that's going to be my, my final judgment will be based on, in part on the quality of the piece itself, my reaction to it. So I don't, I don't want to look at it just yet. But tell me what Peter Pan means to you, such that this painting was inspired. Absolutely. I grew up as part of a performing family, actually. My my dad is a performer, and so I grew up in the theater as a kid. Yeah. My first introduction to Peter Pan was actually the uh, Mary Martin musical mm-hmm. yeah. by Comden and Green, and then later the Kathy Rigby, which is better because they improved the fly system. Yeah. But every version of Peter Pan, I, I read the play, and then read the novel, and then read the novel that it was based on, and then... Like every movie that's come out, there's just, there is something about Peter Pan and like you said, the very digestible, very tropic things that are tropic because they are based in allegory and based in like the roots of truth. Like there is something about like the loss of innocence versus like the cost of innocence Mm -hmm. and youth about like... Peter Pan is that perpetual boy and he wants to be that boy but it also means that he never gets love and he never gets intimacy but he avoids responsibility and and there's something about it that just there is no version of Peter Pan in which at some point I don't end up crying watching it yeah like whether it's Tinkerbell has taken the poison and now we all have to clap to believe in fairies or Finding Neverland which is the whole movie because don't it's just I can't watch that movie anymore. I cried too hard. I watched it twice. I watched it one time and then watched it a second time because I was like, it couldn't have been that bad. And it was. And I cried so hard. Don't kill Kate Winslet. (laughs) Titanic understood that. (laughs) 
and then Hook when he realizes that family is what matters and he goes back home. Like, there's no version of Peter Pan where it doesn't, like, hit me on, like, a base human level Mm -hmm. in which you're happy about the joy of it and sad at the tragedy of it. Mm -hmm. And you understand the cost of what it means to grow up. And I love that about Peter Pan. It's definitely very heart-wrenching. There's some deep stuff at play, for sure, in Peter Pan. I'll be honest, I couldn't watch it. I was I was never very, I love Disney parks. I was never very into Disney animated movies, aside from appreciating them as cultural touchstones. That's me speaking as a nine-year-old. That's what I would say. I appreciate this as a cultural <laughs> touchstone. <laughs> but one of the things that's true about Disney animated movies is that they go, they punch you in the gut. And Tinkerbell mm-hmm. sacrificing herself, a woman sacrificing herself to save this narcissist who has paid no attention to her. <laughs> it really hit me hard. And continues to pay no attention to her afterward. Yeah, I know. He's a monster. But, you know, I find that to be, to me, the big revelation of my my rethinking of Peter Pan. It's like, oh yeah, there's also a reason why you watch Ferris Bueller. Like, something extremely interesting and fun about a person who both subverts the rules and also shows why the rules are kind of necessary anyway. Jesse Nonthorne, are you still here? I am still here, yeah. I'm sorry. Ryan and I went down a little we went we went to Neverland together for a second. Oh I've I've second heard it I've heard it before, so it's not news. Jesse, what how do you feel about Peter Pan? I like Peter Pan. It doesn't hit me the same way it hits Ryan. And that's because, like, one of Ryan's particular... I think everyone has something that makes them cry. And Ryan's particular thing is children growing up. And obviously there's hardly any piece of art that captures that quite the way Peter Pan does. Yeah. (laughs) And so he connects to it so deeply. I I don't have that same connection to Peter Pan. I do have a harder time getting past the the racist aspects of it, mm-hmm. but I do appreciate it as the the ex- exploration of what it means to grow up and what it means to be an adult and to be a child, and its recognition that all children are monsters. Um, <laughs> that's not true. Well, it's a it's a fairy tale in the tradition of real fairy tales, which are much more ambiguous. We'll talk more about that later. But Jesse, I interrupted you. So, what would be your version of Peter Pan and your cultural life is there something that you really dig oh something that i connect to yeah i am far more i guess connected to high fantasy stories and also like grimm's fairy tales yeah um (laughs) yeah i i don't i don't have anything against darker fairy tales it's just the the growing up thing isn't my particular cup of tea yeah. I like I like stories of people overcoming great difficulty, usually okay. adults. Yeah. Like not adults necessarily, but like not necessarily selfish children. I I like stories where I can connect and admire the main character. Yeah, people like growing into adulthood and leaving childish things behind and being able to part with say a painting made by an ex-girlfriend. You you could say that, yeah. Like that that measure of kind of like I don't want wah, wah, I don't want to let the past go. <laughs> As opposed to I am an adult and I realize nostalgia is the most toxic impulse. It is time to put this behind me. Ryan, I'm just being I'm being, being painted with a Paulian brush here. Yeah, I'm being cheeky. <laughs> <laughs>
Let's take a quick recess and hear about this week's Judge John Hodgman sponsor. We'll be back in just a moment on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Hello, I'm your Judge John Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is brought to you every week by you, our members, of course. Thank you so much for your support of this podcast and all of your favorite podcasts at MaximumFun.org, and they are all your favorites. If you want to join the many member supporters of this podcast and this network, boy, oh boy, that would be fantastic. Just go to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024, 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step by step, day by day, bird by bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. There seems to be a premise that you have both brought to the virtual courtroom that you are ready to move on from this painting. In other words, Jesse Nonthorn said, the issue isn't whether to throw it in a metaphoric fire, but what is the best way to dispose of it given that it is so personal? Ryan, have you have you agreed in principle and in your heart that it might be time to let this thing go? 
There is certainly an element of it does not quite have a place in our literal or metaphorical lives. Okay. In our literal lives, there's literally no place on our walls in our New York apartment to hang this thing. (laughs) We have enough other art that is good and great, and the walls are taken up with that. And the metaphorical of it is a lovely thing, and it does mean a lot to me, and it means a lot to my past, and it is a very personal gift, but it also feels strange to embrace, like, yep, this is a thing given me by a girl that I used to date, and now I'm going to hang it in my kid's nursery. Like, that feels weird. That seems like a poor decision in life. Are you still in touch with this person? Is this person still a part of your life? We talk very occasionally. Right. Uh, we, we ended on great terms. She lives in the city. Now, here's the very strange and salient point. Uh, her name is also Jessie. <laughs> this is a fairy tale. This is not strange. It was the 90s. Everyone was named Jessica. <laughs> <You're not wrong. laughs> and Vogue was burning up the charts. Friends was... Also burning up the charts, and everyone was named Jessie. She works in theater. Uh, mm-hmm. She's a lighting designer on Broadway. And so occasionally, when she has friends and family tickets, she throws them my way. So we have gone and seen uh, Jessie and I, my wife Jessie and I, have actually seen some shows that she has lit off of her discount. I have not. That was how we got the Sweeney Todd hookups. You didn't tell me that. It was a birthday present. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow, it was a birthday present? (laughs) Yes, she throws free Broadway tickets my way occasionally. Don't talk past this birthday present thing. (laughs) Did you also give her the Peter Pan painting as a birthday present? (laughs) No, absolutely not. Or was that Christmas or Hanukkah or something? (laughs) Jesse, how does it feel to learn that your tickets to Sweeney Todd were copped off of... Ryan's old lover that he kept secret from you. I mean, I'm heartbroken. I'm sad that I ever grew up. No, it's fine. You're married to a trickster. A trickster. A mischievous trickster. I mean, I I did know that when I married him. Yeah. So. Yeah, you went in eyes wide open. Yeah. Uh, I will say that wife Jesse and ex-girlfriend Jesse have met. It's true. And have shared a meal together and have played Broadway karaoke bingo together. Yeah. And when pe- two people p- play Broadway karaoke bingo, no hard feelings can exist. Oh, I yeah, I mean, look, this is this is a symbol of maturity and non-childishness, right? That that you're all getting along together just fine. That you've moved on to a new relationship and yet there are no hard feelings and that's great. It's terrific. Does other Jesse know that you're contemplating moving on from this painting? She does not. And I actually have floated the idea of offering to return it to her if it's that precious. But that also feels very bad. So I don't know. I honestly don't know the social um, contract of this situation. Nope. (laughs) Do you know if she listens to podcasts? (laughs) (laughs) Right before we were about to record, Ryan looks up and says, do you think we should warn Jess that we're doing this? And then we both shrugged and said we we did some internet research she has not liked this podcast specifically on her facebook page or twitter or twitter we actually did do this very specific research so we're not positive whether or not she listens to this show so we can't say she doesn't listen but we can say we're not sure that she does throw her painting down a well then please now 
no, it's fine. I'm not going to punish the painting for other Jesse's podcast tastes. It's not how I roll. I'm not a punitive trickster god. I'm just an adult human judge. Ryan, you present this as a issue of decor. You don't have room to display it anymore. And even you acknowledge it's a little, a little weird to have around, say, and do you have children? Are you expecting children? Because you mentioned something about it. We do not have, nor are currently expecting, but plan at some point in the vague future to have them. To steal an infant from a perambulator and raise it in a neverland of your own? From Kensington Gardens. That's the working plan. If you had your druths, Ryan, would you like to just keep this thing and display it? Are you really ready to let go of it? Like when When you look at the painting, how do you feel about it? I am... Because I am 31 and a millennial, and we are overly nostalgic, as as every tabloid tells us, I'm a very nostalgic person, mm-hmm. and I do like things of the past. And I've had this painting now for seven or eight years. Almost a decade. Um, mm-hmm. And has hung in my college apartment, and then when I first moved to New York, mm-hmm. and then in a couple of different places. And so it is, it is a memory... Not really of the relationship that I had, but but of it reminds me more of my past self rather than of the past relationship that I was in. I have a couple of other things that I've always had. Like, I've got a Yankees pennant from when I was, like, six that is still mm-hmm. hanging in our house. Mm-hmm. Like, And so I am a nostalgic person by by definition. And, and this painting... I, I would be a little sad to see it go. And so I'm I am of two minds. One is if we were to keep it, I would want to put some effort into it and maybe get it a nice frame and maybe make it a little more presentable to to find its place on the wall and find its place not just mm-hmm. stashed in a closet somewhere. Mm-hmm. Or if we do let it go, find a replacement for it. Something that has a a spiritual tie from the past to the future, and I would make Jessie get me a new one. <laughs> if she's going to get rid of my painting, I want a new one, and she has to get it for me. Some kind of new Peter Pan artwork? A new Peter Pan piece. Something that still represents my connection to that and the past. But if this particular Peter Pan does not suit her, her personality and her flexibility, she can get rid of it, but at the cost of getting me a new one. Oh, you mean that... Your wife is going to commission a new painting from your ex-girlfriend? Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, may- maybe not that specifically. Maybe she finds something she likes on DeviantArt or or Redbubble. Or we actually do have a couple of artist friends that I'm sure could make a lovely painting. It's one of the benefits of living in New York. There is no shortage of up-and-coming wanna- painters who want to paint things. So you don't have anything, a particular piece in mind... That no. you're using this old, this older painting for as leverage to get. No, I do not have a current piece that I am trying to to wrangle out of the deal. Right, you're not a you're not a master strategist. You're not a master emotional strategist. You flit and fly from impulse to impulse like Peter Pan. I I am a lost boy. <laughs> what do you do for a living? Uh, musical theater. Oh. I sing and dance. I never grew up. I play pretend. I've done Peter Pan on stage. That's happened. I played Who did you play? Captain Hook for Disney Cruise Lines. Whoa! Joel, man, did you hear that? I did, Judge. Would you call that burying the lead? Absolutely. 
how did I, huh? That's, I just want to look. We don't have time to go <laughs> into your experience playing Captain Hook on the Disney Cruise Line for how many times? I was at sea for six months. Speaking of nostalgia, I mean, I, first of all, I'm thinking like, oh, wasn't it great when there was theater and there was cruises? You, you were, I mean, it's lucky you survived. You were at the, the most virusy place in the world. I was the nexus of badness. Yes. But I, so I can't, I mean, look, you know, I talked about that six part podcast series from Karina Longworth. You must remember this on Song of the South. Mm-hmm. Like I could easily do a six part podcast with you about this experience that you had. I have so many questions <laughs> that need to be answered, but we'll have to table that for a debrief later on. Ryan, do you agree to that at some point? Absolutely. I love talking His about that. His stories are wonderful. They are pretty wild. I just, all I'm going to ask you to do is do a Captain Hook voice. Do a line. Do something. All righty. Um, Blast that Peter Pan! It was he that cut off me hand. <gasps> Riveting. Yeah, Thank cruise you. line quality. Ah! <laughs> oh, 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 oh. oh, you're never going to get it. The first cut is the deepest. You're never going to get it. <laughs> Not from Jesse Thorne. That stung me. Ouch. And Jesse, may I ask, what, what do you do in the world? I work for a big publishing house in the city, making ebooks uh, things. Also, also someone who refused to grow up. I guess so. People yeah. in publishing, you know, it's just like people in podcasts. It's not anyone in the arts. We don't want to grow up. It's true. So we take a salary hit and we just live in our land of pretend. I know. It's just it's just pretend work. It's pretend business. It's money losing business for funds. You know what it's like? It's sort of like community radio. You know what I mean, Joel? Joel, did you ever, <laughs> Joel, did you ever grow up? No. All right. Jesse Thorne, did you ever grow up? Yeah. Yeah. Some have grown upness forced upon them. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, Jesse, this is a crux that I got to uncrux. How much of your dislike for this thing is aesthetic? How much of it is, let's put childish things behind us? And how much of it is, if any, resentment because of a previous uh, assignation? I think it is 70% aesthetic dislike. I don't think it is very pretty. Right. I just don't, I don't like it. And I'm not, I'm not a professional artist, so I guess I don't know all the rules of art, but uh, I don't see that it's following the rules, nor do I see that it's breaking them in an interesting way. So, all right. I guess it's time for me to look at this piece of art. Please. Here I go. <laughs> Exhibit A. Submitted by Jesse, a photo of the painting. Yeah. You say that other Jesse made this in college? Uh, yes. I think yeah. it shows. I would say it's at least cruise ship quality. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you know what? I've never been on a Disney cruise, but on a couple of other cruises with my friend Jonathan Colton, a couple of other lines, and my friend Jesse Thorne. I think you're onto something there, Jesse Thorne. Yeah, I could see this hanging in a, a landing between promenade deck and Lido deck. For sure. (laughs) I'll say, I look at this picture, I think, this is a painting done by a very talented lighting director. (laughs) (laughs) The the use of light is is really wonderful. It's true. 
Jesse Thorne, you can't see this, but you're cracking Joel Mann up over here in Maine. I've never, I've never seen him smile this much in the past five years. It genuinely, like my, my very sincere evaluation of it is that it's a very interesting looking and competently executed piece. It has some interesting ideas. I think she incorporated the pages from the book, like the literal pages from the book beautifully. And it is much more, it's a much more sophisticated work of art than I imagined when it was described. That said, I could see it not being to plenty of people's taste or fitting decor, and it doesn't take my breath away in its extraordinary artistic achievement. Thank you very much, Antiques Roadshow, Jesse Thorne. Appreciate that. (laughs) Art appraiser. Everyone can go to the Judge Sean Hodgman Instagram account and see this and all of the evidence from our cases at any time, and you can judge for yourself. But I would say this is a very endearing, very sentimental work of art executed commensurate to a college age person's skill and sensibility it's cute it's cute it's a little maybe cutesy even but you know what ryan you're sentimental and cutesy right if nothing else yeah and endearing (laughs) and endearing too i was raised to be charming not sincere Wow, that's an incredible quote. Sondheim, I can't, I can't take credit for it. Oh, excuse me, I apologize. And now, Jesse, you also submitted some photos of other pieces of art in your home. Is that what I'm looking at here? Yeah, so the other art in our home is also usually handmade, like by friends or by me. And yes. it's all very sentimental as well. And I guess it just feels weird to have this also very sentimental homemade piece but from someone not in our current world of relationships. Mm-hmm. And, and also, I'm going to say that, you know, these, these works of art are a little bit more mature in their style and execution. And Very also, also so. collages. Yeah. Now, they're not fancy because I just made them on cardboard with old magazines. But I'm sorry, you, you made these things. I missed that. Yeah, those are all mine. Oh, wow. Well done. Very nice. Yeah, I think Thanks. I think you've got the eye. I agree. Yeah, this is like gr- art that's grown up. And mm-hmm. I don't love all of them, but one of them Ryan won't let me get rid of because he's sentimental. So they'll all be available for your review on the show page on maximumfun.org and obviously the Instagram account at Judge John Hodgman. But which one, which one would you like to get rid of, Jesse? That uh, Ryan doesn't want you to get rid of. And this is news to me. We've had Which this conversation. Which one are you wanting to get rid the of? The conservatory garden. There's one that's... Oh, we can't get rid of that one. Exactly. So there's one that I made. I We were in, got engaged in the conservatory garden in Central Park. And I wanted to make a collage of it. And it is huge. It's like three feet long. It's massive. And it didn't turn out quite the way I was hoping, but... It's a collage you made of the place I proposed and to you. We I can't hid, get rid of that. I hid a diamond ring in the collage. So it's also a fun game for guests. You hit a diamond ring in the collage? Not a real one, but like oh. a picture of a diamond ring is one of the pictures of the mag- from the magazines oh, that, that I put in there. If you had pasted your engagement ring into this collage, I would agree with Ryan. You should probably not throw it away. <laughs> maybe. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, excuse me. It's just a photo. And then finally, we have a photo here of Ryan as Captain Hook. See, this is why I didn't know, because I didn't review the evidence, because I was trying to remain neutral. 
That is actually will... not a picture of me as Hook. I am in <laughs> over his right shoulder as one of the... Uh, that is a different production of Peter Pan that I did. You're rocking a tambourine in this one. Yep. And you're looking... I would say you're looking at the foregrounded actor playing Captain Hook in this other non-Disney Cruise production. You're looking at Hook with a lot of envy, I will say. Uh, I am his understudy. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You're hoping that it'll... You're hoping that that Smee that Captain Hook is sitting on will collapse and then Hook will break his <laughs> neck and fall into a crocodile. And I can step into the limelight. Still, You're still Peter Pan. You're Peter Pan at heart. All right. Well, this misdirection has basically sealed your fate. I thought I was looking at a picture of you as Captain <laughs> Cook. <laughs> if I were to rule in your favor, let's just be blunt here before I go in and and make my decision. If I were to rule in your favor... Jesse, what would you have me rule? I would have you rule that we gracefully and gratefully acknowledge this painting's meaning to Ryan and then discard it. How would you discard it? See, that's the tricky thing. I think I can't think of a better option than it's like trash or or a burial at sea. Like mm-hmm. I don't I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. What about the free section of Craigslist? Oh. Yeah. Now that that would probably work. Now, Craig happens to be a Judge John Hodgman listener. I think he could probably hook you up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but don't tell Jesse that Craig's hooking us up because we like to keep secrets from her. Tell her it's a birthday present. Yeah. <laughs> As a birthday present, I got you one free listing on Craigslist. You're welcome. Ryan, if I were to rule in your favor, what would you have me order? You, you're ready to let go of this thing, but you... But you're not, are you? You want to re- you want to replace it with another thing? If you were to rule in my favor, I would probably want you to rule that we put some effort into it and get it a nice frame and find it a place in our house. So we can take it out of the closet? Yes. Okay. Is that where it is now? It currently hangs on the inside door of a closet, of the linen closet. Mm-hmm. Every time I get a towel, I have to look at it. You don't want to look at it at all ever again. Um, not really. And I would settle as a backup verdict that she gets rid of this but gets me a new piece of Peter Pan art. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've heard everything I need to in order to make my decision. I'm going to go into my Skull Island to contemplate this case. And I'll be back in a moment with my verdict. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Jesse, how are you feeling about your chances here? Well, I feel... Pretty good. I mean, I would be happy to get Ryan a backup piece of Peter Pan art, and I think we could have a good time selecting that. So I didn't even realize that was an option, but if that's the verdict, then that is fine by me. Framing it would be a little bit more of a a pull, because first of all, very hard to get a frame, and uh, second of all, have to keep looking at it. Very hard. Wait, it's very hard to get a frame? It is if you're not... Okay, let me rephrase. It's hard for me to get a frame because I'm not willing to spend a ton of money. Okay. I was like, you know, a type of store. I'm not going to tell you what type it's called, but you could probably figure it out. <laughs> I'm limiting myself here. I know it's hard to access specialty retail in New York City. <laughs> well, it is kind of right now. But maybe if everybody piled into the truck and drove the 40 miles to the Super Kmart, you could find a frame. I'm sure we could locate one. Ryan, how are you feeling? 
I am feeling pleased as punch. If I lose the case, I've made my case honestly and fervently, and I can do no more. I have, I've done my best. I'll say I don't feel good about the verdict going in my direction, mainly because I believe the judge may or may not be correct in his assessments of Peter Pan and the right to love it as much as I do. Well, we'll see what the judge has to say about all this when we come back in just a second on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman re-enters the courtroom and presents his verdict. So first of all, verdict on Peter Pan. I am not here to cancel Peter Pan. Peter Pan is obviously a cultural touchstone, as nine-year-old John Hodgman knew and still knows. And it is so for a reason, because it is mysterious, weird, complicated. It's good and it's bad. It probes strange feelings that people have about childhood. There are versions of Peter Pan that celebrate eternal childhood, but it is clear to me, based on my research, that actual Peter Pan doesn't. And there's lots and lots and lots of culture that has racist stuff in it that is either intentional or unintentionally harmful in the stuff that we love. And we, you know, we hold our noses or grimace or roll our eyes, say, when you're showing your kids the movie Peter Pan for the first time and you completely forgot about what made the Red Man Red, the incredibly offensive racist song in that movie. You're like, ooh, I forgot about this. Let's just white knuckle through this. Like That's how I showed it to my kids. All I'm saying it is, when you see this stuff, to realize you're holding your nose and to think about why you're doing it. In fact, don't hold your nose. Open your nose and breathe in the stink and think about it and talk about it with the people you're sharing it with. Kids, in the most, for the most part. 
And so part of the reason that I would not cancel Peter Pan is that what is good about it, we discussed with Jesse Nonthorn earlier, is that like fairy tales, like real fairy tales, they get plucked from public domain by certain animation companies and kind of spiffed up. There is a dark strangeness to Peter Pan. Peter Pan is not a good guy, nor is he a bad guy. He is a child, and the exploration of the chaos of childhood is obviously something that resonates deeply with people. The tension between childhood and leaving childhood is very meaningfully explored in Peter Pan, even though J.M. Barry himself put in this completely execrable and non-necessary bit of racism because white guys in England at that time just tossed off racism like it was nothing. It is a piece of art that is worth engaging in. And I'm not just saying that because I don't want Disney to cancel me because they own everything. I want to be Modoc in a Marvel movie. Please, Disney, please don't cancel me. <laughs> please don't fire me from culture. And by the way, Warner Brothers, that thing I said about Friends, I still love Friends. And by the way, don't cancel me because I've got this incredible pitch for a Friends spinoff. Put it on the air now. It's more Friends who live in a different... It's set in the same time period, exactly the same period as Friends, but it's different friends living in a different apartment, and they hate the other friends. <laughs> you reuse old footage. It's incredible. Yeah, see? Ryan likes it. Sold in the room with Ryan. I'd watch that show. Yeah, more friends. And, you know, they could be a diverse cast. Like, show what New York was like in the 90s. Anyway, look. So I'm not on you, Ryan, for loving Peter Pan. People like what they like. They love what they love. You've obviously explored all of the aspects of Peter Pan. Now, I thought this thing was going to hinge on nostalgia, the tension, as I say, between, you know, being a child and growing up. And I, as you know, I'm against nostalgia because it aims to hold on to a past that is usually illusory, and as well suggest that time can go backwards or that you can hold on to the past. You can hold on to a painting, but you can't hold on to the past. So you would think I would come down very hard on you, Ryan, not merely for loving this problematic piece of art, not the painting, but the, the subject, but also trying to hold on to the past. But what this hinges on is something that was glossed over very early by Jesse and me, which is, is inscribed to you. It's your name is written on the back from Other Jesse. And when something is given to you and it is inscribed, you can't just put it on the street. Someone will find it and they'll find out that you don't want the thing that they gave you. It's horrible. Like, I'm hoping that Jesse never listens to this podcast. Other Jesse. I mean, other, other Jesse. Jesse Nonthorn Nonthorn. Because she's going to be hurt, probably, that you want to get rid of this thing. So the solution is simple. Jesse, Nonthorn, Nonthorn, if you're listening, I am ordering Ryan to keep this treasured gift forever. This is the sound of a gavel. <coughs> Judge John Hodgman rules. That is all. Hold. Okay. Now that Jesse Nonthorn Nonthorn is no longer listening, 
and I saved you from that social embarrassment? <laughs> you got to throw this painting into a crocodile quick. <laughs> the best place for this thing would be a parent's basement for you to never have to deal with it again. You never have to give it up, but you never have to have it. And then as you grow older and your parents grow older and maybe their house accidentally burns down, this problem is solved for you. (laughs) The next best place for it to be is for you to send it on a journey that is appropriate to it, to its sentimental importance to you. Because here's the thing, Ryan. I do think that you know, you have said yourself, it would be weird to hang this in my kid's room. It is a beautiful gesture that someone who cares about you made for you at a certain time in your life. But you know that that time is over. And also, the person you've chosen to spend your life with going forward just doesn't like it. She doesn't even want to look at it in the closet. If you had a thousand rooms, would it be fair to say, Jesse Nonthorn, that you would not want to look at this thing? If we had a thousand rooms... I actually would feel differently about it, but we live in okay. one bedroom apartments, so All we right. don't. We're kind of low on space, and I, as a New Yorker, am terrified of acquiring items All right. or having too many items. All right, so here's the solution, Ryan. You're in musical theater, yes. right? A booming business right now. Just make a lot of money and get a thousand room mansion. And if you can't do that, then what I would suggest is you leave it in the closet until such time as time moves forward, not backwards ever, forward into a new and better normal that we're all going to make together. Once we have a vaccine, once we were able to move, once we were able to speak to each other's faces again, you're going to take other Jessie out to dinner and you're going to say to her, I think that it's time for me to part with this. I love it and it will always be meaningful to me. Do you think you would like to have it back to give to somebody else? Because if not, my plan is to fly What is it? Two stars to the right and straight on till morning? Second star to the right. Right, whatever. I was close. Fly, second star to the right, straight on till morning to Disneyland, a place that I love, to get on that Peter Pan dark ride, a thing that I think is great. It's like you're in a gondola in someone's living room. (laughs) I'm going to take the painting with me. I'm going to get on the ride with the painting, and I'm going to get off the ride without the painting. (laughs) <laughs> and then I will walk out of Disneyland <laughs> fling it into the abyss I bet she will be okay with that <laughs> finally I order Jesse Nonthorn, your wife Ryan to commission from one of your artist friends a painted version of this photo of you not as Captain Hook but as tricorner hat tambourine man in the background <laughs> painted version of that photo with the caption I was raised to be charming not sincere this is the sound of a gavel Judge John Hodgman rules that is all please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom Ryan how do you feel Uh, elated I I think that the judge has honorably and rightfully ruled and I cannot wait to be arrested by Disney police (laughs) As I try and leave something on a ride in the middle of the darkness. Jesse, how about you? I think having 
a painting of himself as Tricorn Man with a caption, Charming Not Sincere, is everything Ryan has ever wanted in life. So I'm thrilled, and I can't wait to figure out which artist friend would be best suited to to create this beautiful piece of artwork. Jesse, Ryan, thanks for joining us on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Another Judge John Hodgman case in the books. We'll have swift justice in just a moment, but first our thanks to Alex Boochley for naming this week's episode, Never Landmark Case. If you'd like to name a future episode, make sure to like Judge John Hodgman on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesse Thorne and at Hodgman. Hashtag your Judge John Hodgman tweets, hashtag JJHO, JJ Ho. And check out the MaxFund subreddit, MaximumFun.reddit.com to chat about this episode. We're also on Instagram at Judge John Hodgman, where you can make your own evaluation of the Neverland painting. Judge John Hodgman produced by the ever-capable Ms. Jennifer Marmer. This week's episode edited by Hannah Smith. Now, Swift Justice, where we answer small disputes with quick judgment. Rebecca asks, who should clear the last few seconds off the microwave timer at work? The next person to use it or the monster who stopped it before it was done? I mean, I know that you got a Breville smart oven. You have a microwave, though, right, Jesse? I do have a microwave, yes. You ever had that experience when you're walking into the kitchen and you're like, I wonder what time it is. And you glance to the clock in the microwave and you're like, it's 17 seconds o'clock? What's going on? Yes. Yeah. And do you do what I do when you realize that the last person who used it, maybe even yourself, didn't clear the timer and therefore you don't know what time it is? Do you do you take the microwave and throw it away? Uh, yeah, typically, right. yeah. Joel, what do you do? I reset it. You reset it after you use it? Anytime I see that it's 17 o'clock. So you're saying that there's someone in your house who maybe doesn't clear the time. That would be me. You do it. You're the you're the I'm, I'm the monster. The perpetrator. Yeah. All right. Joel's the monster. Even the monster knows. Don't be a monster. When you're done using that microwave, clear the countdown. Let us know what time it is. That's all I got. That's it for this week's episode. Submit your cases at MaximumFun.org slash JJHO or email Hodgman at MaximumFun.org. No case is too small. We'll see you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.